of thunder. I don't know if anyone heard that or not. But what an amazing reminder of how big our God is and how, like, and how tiny we are. We have an opportunity to gather in the Lord's house on the Lord's day with the Lord's people to lift up our voices in worship. Thank you, Matt, for leading us. Danielle, uh, thank you for your ministry in pouring into the lives of those young ladies. I love the looks on the faces of those young ladies, those girls, as they were singing. And we rejoice in that. A lesson on giving from the richest poor woman in the world is the subject that we're going to be looking at this morning. The widow's might or the widow's offering, as perhaps you are more familiar with. Uh, the title. Let's bow our heads and just pray for God's um, anointing on our time, on this subject, on this church, as we seek his direction um, from his word. Let's pray. Father, once again, we come into your presence and we have a few moments carved out from the busyness, the hecticness of a week. Your word has been given to us and it is full, it is final, it is complete, and we thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that we have the freedom to worship in this manner, that we have um, your word open before us. I would pray right now, Lord, that you, in all of your might and glory and knowledge, um, would reveal to us truth that we need to hear, perhaps be reminded of, perhaps for the very first time be introduced of what it means to truly worship while we have sacrificial giving. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the faithfulness upon the full truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have stood upon for decades now. Father, I would ask, Lord, for wisdom and direction and guidance as we seek to continue to cut our way into this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we just rejoice in the fact that there is hope for the hopeless. There is help for the helpless. That you see us, that you know us, that you loved us, that you died for us. We rejoice in that. We rejoice, Lord, in the fact that we can be rescued from our own selves, from our own sinfulness, through the work of Jesus. Father, I pray for each person that is here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them, that the focus would not be on an individual. Use me simply as a vessel for your glory. Please guard me from doing or saying anything that would not exalt the name of Jesus and build up or edify this dear body. Speak now and may your servants hear. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, if you are just joining us, uh, we have been involved in a book study. I preach expositionally, verse by verse. We have been in the Gospel of Mark for a few weeks now. Just to let you know that we are in the final week of the public ministry of Jesus. That time between Sunday... Jesus rode in, people shouting, Hosanna. And Friday, where people were shouting, crucify or kill him. Jesus is in the temple. 
He has been teaching. He takes a break this morning from teaching. He sits and he observes. And as he observes, he sees something that he teaches us a very important lesson. A lesson that I believe is one that can hit home, that is a lesson I think should hit home. It is a lesson, Lord willing, that challenges us and hopefully it will change us. That's the purpose that we gather here. We keep returning every single week to the same place. You sit in the same seats too. Did anybody tell you that? And so I think this whole idea of we're here to be challenged, but we're here to change is really hard because we don't like to change because we don't even like to change the seat that we're sitting in. Except you guys move all over the place all the time. Okay, a text before us. What a text, what a lesson, what a woman. A poor old widow, but we will see the awe, what I call the awe of true worship. Have you ever witnessed an awe-inspiring view before? Have you ever stood close or felt the spray from Niagara on your face or or heard the roar, or, or literally you can feel its power? Have you ever stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon and watched the sunset sending rays across the sky like, like fingers that are painting an unbelievable scene? Ever fly over the Rockies or the Alps or the Himalayas before and you... Look out the window and there's this, there's these glistening black kind of raw rocks that are covered with the most pure white snow against the bluest of sky. And you see something like that on occasion or perhaps once in your lifetime and you just stop and you stare. You can't do anything else. You just stare in all. Today, we will see the one who made all of that. Today, we'll see the one who literally spoke all of those things into existence, and he sits and stares in what? In awe of what true worship looks like. And he teaches us. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us this morning of what it really looks like. And it's not, in all honesty, when you think of true worship, real worship, it's not what you think it is. It's not some gifted musician playing an instrument or lifting up his voice. It's not some great orator that is what stunning or silencing a crowd It's not an artist displaying what's working a canvas or clay. It's not not any of those things. It's not a wealthy, impressive ruler. It's not a mighty warrior. It's none of those things. It is a simple, 
It is a quiet act. A subtle movement. It's, it's offering the little tiny bits that you have as true sacrifice. That is true worship. Let me direct your attention to our text. We'll read it, Mark chapter 12. It's in front of you, and you can follow along as I read, beginning in verse 41. And he, speaking of Jesus, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny, penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had. All that she had to live on. Two points, very simple, very clear, directly from the text. Number one, Jesus watches. Verses 41 and 42, he sat opposite the treasury and he watched. He watched the people putting money into the offering box. Jesus has been in the temple, we know this, for quite some time now. He's been in dialogue with the Jewish religious leaders who are trying to trick, trick him and trap him. And, and he's been teaching truth. That's, like, that's all he does. That's, that's all he is. In just a short while, Jesus will be sitting with his disciples in the upper room. We see it in John chapter 14 that Jesus even proclaims, I am what? I'm the way. I am the truth. It's who he is. Jesus says, there's no way you can ever get to, to, to my heavenly Father. You can't get to God except going through me, except you understand this truth. You and I need to be reminded of that. That's who Jesus is. So it's here that Jesus sees and speaks on a topic of utmost importance, a topic that in all honesty, between what you and I, it's a prickly topic that at times we would probably choose not to speak on. It has to do with the topic of giving, and specifically it talks about the giving of, in this case, money as an act of worship in response to who he is. We see it here in Mark chapter 12 and Luke chapter 21 are the only gospels that speak of this. You know that Jesus has been and is an excellent observer of human behavior. That's the reason that he is an excellent communicator. Jesus doesn't just notice what is going on around him. He certainly does, but he notices more than just the what's going on. Jesus always notices the who. He always zeroes in on the individual, on the person. What, what? He sees an act here, but it's more than just an act. It's more than just motion. There's something behind it. He sat opposite the treasury and he watched people. So telling and so constant 
to his character. That's what God watches. We see this all the way through scripture. Job chapter 34 and verse 21. For his eyes are are on the ways of man. And he sees all of his steps. You know those little like little counters like like I did like fifty seven thousand eight hundred and twenty one steps today? Like that's nothing compared to him who watches every step, every breath and heartbeat. Psalm chapter thirty three says this the Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of men. Hebrews in chapter four, verse thirteen says, and no creature is hidden from his sight but all that's every one of us it says this are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom listen to this we must give account jesus sees it all i think i think as we begin you and i need to be reminded of that do you realize this jesus is watching you every move now not in a creepy kind of way He's he's watching you in a concerned kind of way. That Jesus actually has compassion for you, for your soul. Jesus has concern and compassion for your acknowledgement or awareness or lack thereof of him. Jesus is concerned about your eternal destination He watches everything, and we have to be reminded of that. And it's more that than when my mom would would bake a whole batch of cookies, and she'd leave a couple out for us, and we'd eat the two or three that she left out, but we'd always go looking for the source. There's got to be more. We would hunt them down, and we'd open the container, and inevitably always a note in there, Jesus is watching but, but mom would do this, not just, not, not, there's a whole lesson here that's bigger than a chocolate chip. The lesson is what? We, we were taught this. Children, obey your parents. That's what we were taught. There's, there's, there's a lesson in that little note that Jesus is watching. And the lesson is what? Honor. Your father and your mother, there is a constant, what, taking, taking our eyes from this level, from, from the cookie in front of us, to what, lifting our eyes up to see him. That's what you and I have to be reminded of when we hear about this idea of Jesus watching us. It has been several intense hours of interrogation that Jesus has been under, and he now just sits. He's on the Temple Mount between the women's court and the court of the Gentiles. We've talked about the court of the ethne, court of the nations. There's this little area, it's called the Gate Beautiful. It's a, a quiet little spot. Remember, this is the time of Passover and preparation. So there's, there's crowds of people. The, the place is just teeming with people. And so Jesus just wants to take a break. And he sits. It seems like a very wise move and he could very easily what position himself in a way to witness what was going on. He can see what's going on in the women's court where this widow woman had probably had gone. I would think that Jesus was concerned for her. 
He's concerned for widows. He's concerned because in verse 40, it talked about the fact that what? There had been a corrupt system in place that literally was, was extorting the, the helpless and the homeless like this widow gal. And so he watched. You can look into the treasury and, and all the wall of the treasury, there's, there's 13 brass receptacles. They're, they're, they're trumpet shaped. They were hung on the wall. They were receptacles for offering for you to put your money in. Each one of the different receptacles had a different purpose. You could put money in and this would be for oil for the lamps or this one could be for, for wood to keep the fires burning. This one perhaps was for food for those that were working within the temple. Different ones for different purposes. You have to remember as people walked up, there's no... There's no um, envelope system in place at that point. Okay, there's no paper notes. There's no checks to write. There's no debit cards to swipe. There's no online giving. And so the primary way that people would give money was by the giving of coins. The main mode of offering. So people would sit and they would not just watch but they could actually listen and there were different sounds as money was dropped into these brass receptacles a large clunk or a a thud was probably like a bag of silver a bag of gold and people would raise their eyebrows like wow did you hear that or perhaps they could hear the sound of a tiny little clink of a few coins There's no doubt, there's no doubt that many around Jesus were probably dying to figure out what Jesus thought about these fabulously rich people who were giving great and enormous gifts to God's house. But that's, it's obvious, it's not what caught Jesus' attention. The, The thud of a bag of silver coins, that didn't do anything. Instead, it says what? Listen to this. It says, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Two mites. Look at your index finger. Look at this, the fingernail, the size of your fingernail and your index finger. That's about the size. Two mites, some translations translate, would make up a quadrant. In Greek, it would be referred to as a lepta, which literally translates thin one. So it's this little, tiny, thin coin. I'm quite certain, I'm I'm almost positive, there was not a lot of fanfare here. There was not trumpets blowing. This is an old gal, probably not very attractive, past the age of her beauty. I'm certain she was not dressed very well. Widows were at the very bottom of a heap of needy people. Perhaps she was shuffling slowly. You could have hear, heard the, the tap, tap of a, of a stick or a cane. Her head was probably down, ashamed, maybe even embarrassed compared to the others that were giving offerings. And, and she reaches up and she drops in this, this measly, meager little offering. As some no doubt thought, look how tiny. 
But Jesus saw something that he immediately wanted others to see. Jesus saw something at that moment that he wanted you and I today, this day, the last day of April, 2017, sitting in a church in central Pennsylvania. Jesus saw something that he wanted you and I to see. Number two, Jesus teaches. Number two, Jesus teaches. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, truly, this poor widow has put in more than all. Now, you've been there, haven't you, where we, we all know, we've all been taught since we were little, it is, it, it's not polite to stare. We know that. But there's something in us that we try not to, but sometimes we see something that we can't help but stare. And you've been waiting before. You're tired of, of shopping. And so you take a seat at the mall and you just watch people. Waiting for a delayed flight at the airport. And, and, and usually it sounds something like this. Did you see that? Get a look at him. We say something like, what is she thinking? We, we talk like amongst one another. We know it's not polite, but we do this. Jesus saw something as he's staring, and it says he called his disciples. Matthew, come here. Thomas, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Bartholomew, come here. Peter, wake up. Goodness gracious. Judas, get that look off your face. Get James and John. Everyone come here. And they come in, and he says this. Did, did you see this? Did you see that? Now, we know it says that there were lots of people. It says that there were many rich people giving lots of money, putting in large, the word is polo, large sums. But that's not what, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not what my father needs, Jesus says. Instead, he, he might have even pointed. It's not polite to stare, and it's even less polite to point. And maybe Jesus even pointed. He says, see that lady? That little one over there that's shuffling away, she got it right. She got it right. That lady, what has put in more than all, more than anyone else. Jesus, the master communicator, the master teacher, never misses a teaching moment. And so he gathers his disciples, they're leaning in, and think about what he says, Jesus, this is Jesus, the the long-awaited promised Messiah, the soon-to-be what? Sacrificed Lamb of God. This is Jesus, the Savior of the world, who speaks to his disciples and he says this, boys, it's not about the amount. It's about the attitude. It's not about the amount. It's about the attitude of our worship. It's about the attitude of our sacrifice. What what an amazing, complete reversal that must have been for for the disciples from their point of view. What an incredible and stunning, it almost sounds like a riddle because there's always people listening to what Jesus had to say. What a puzzle for them to kind of scratch their heads and wonder over. What an unexpected encouragement. Perhaps those words were to that little 
old lady. And what a stunning indictment. What a, what a scathing, biting rebuke. This must have been for the many, what, self-righteous, rich people. And it is here in this very moment that the many wealthy are caught. Literally, they're caught in their actions. And this little old lady, this widowed lady, is commended. The reason is what? Here, it says it right here. It says that the, that the first group gave out of their abundance. The wealthy gave out of their abundance. But she gave out of her poverty. Do you understand this morning what this means? Let me clarify. It's not about the amount of money that we give. It's about the attitude. Therefore, we understand our offerings and our sacrifices as a plate is passed every single week is not to be measured by our abundance or lack thereof. Hear this, hear me on this. It is to be measured by the level of the degree of sacrifice how much it costs us, how much we feel this as an act of worship. It's worship in response to God's goodness and God's grace in our lives. So there's really only two questions. There's two questions that you and I need to be asked this morning. You personally, are you giving consistently and regularly out of your abundance or are you giving out of your poverty? That's really, there's two options here. Now we think about this, are we giving out of our abundance or are we giving out of our poverty? When we live in a nation and we live at a time, we live in an era of unbelievable and unprecedented wealth. Do you you realize that in our lifestyle here, right here, middle-class America, that you and I live in the upper, what, 5% of the entire population of the world, six-plus billion people. You and I live in the upper 5%. 95% of the entire world's population live with less than you and I do. Fresh water like at any one of the the many sinks in our homes, that we don't have to boil it, we don't get sick when we drink fresh water. Our fridges are full. I was looking for a place the other day to put the Caesar salad dressing. Like, I don't know, where do I put this? Honey, where do I put this? I can't fit it in here. That's our life. Safe highways all over the place being, being reconstructed. Oh, we're so inconvenienced. It took me three more minutes to get to the office this morning. They're rebuilding our highways constantly. Supermarkets filled with food. Sports stadiums where we pay $6.50 for a hot dog. Closets, every one of our closets are filled with clothes. And shoes. And people are renting more storage space because they can't even keep all the junk that they have in their own closets and garages. That we, now we have to rent additional space. That's our lifestyle. 
Little wake up, gang. Little wake up. The rest of the world does not live like this. 95% of the world does not live like you and I live. Now, it's no secret, it's no shock to know that we also perhaps cannot come with bags full of silver or gold every single week. That's perhaps a little beyond us. I think you would agree, all of us probably have more than, than those two little copper coins. That was all that she had. Should I go buy a piece of bread or should I give it to the Lord? That's, that's, that's the difference here. Now, I understand, I am well aware of the fact there has been so much damage done when it comes to the subject of money, particularly surrounded around the local church. There has been, there has been such gross lies and destruction when it comes to the subject of finances, when it sub- comes to the subject of giving, and it's under the guise of giving to God. And, and sadly, there are many, there are many, many, many pastors and televangelists who are nothing more, understand and hear me out, they are nothing more than pathetic peddlers of prosperity theology or a false gospel who have literally and presently are planning on how to steal and extort and squander millions upon millions upon millions of dollars from people. Now we know how Jesus used this in verse 40. We saw what? Jesus will severely judge anyone who takes advantage of or extorts what? Devours widows' houses. They will receive a greater condemnation. It happens all over the place. I remember some time ago I was watching television, flipping through, and, and inevitably, inevitably you stop and you hear a guy preaching. And he, tears streaming down his face and he's pleading, he's begging for people. You need to give, you need to give more. If you, if you, if you want to get more, then you better give more. That, that, that you will not be blessed Unless you give, and the more that you give, and the the more you will be blessed. And and as I was watching that, the camera guy, whoever, made a mistake. He had to have made a mistake. And he zoomed in when he shouldn't have zoomed in, or it was from the angle that he shouldn't have been. And literally it showed, okay, on the cufflinks of this guy who's begging for people to give more money, gold dollar signs. Dollar signs. disgust. There's disgust. It makes me sick. This is not like, oops, cameraman made a mistake here. No, this is, they will receive greater condemnation. Whenever you hear of anything, whenever you hear of anyone connected or associated with any kind of a ministry anywhere, and they're flying on their private golf stream, they're living in a million dollar, multi-million dollar mansion, Hear me on this. It is a complete fake fraud and nothing else. Nothing else. Never, ever, ever under any circumstance do you give that garbage. Ever. I like the the quote we heard just last week when we were talking about giving to missionaries. And Platt said this, and and I quote, anyone who is called to stay, that's us. 
is called to what? It's called to live simply and give sacrificially. Let, let, me, let, me make, let, me, let me set something straight and make it very, very clear, as clear as possible. We have to be reminded of this. God does not need your money, okay? We have to, we have to be reminded of that. Why? Because it all belongs to him. Do you realize he owns your money? He has the ability to give it to you, and he has the ability at any moment to take it from you, to take your ability to go to work and to earn. He needs no help. God needs no help in establishing his kingdom. It will be established. What we understand is that you and I are called to be stewards of that which is already his. Just like we're stewards of every single breath that we have been given. We are stewards of every single heartbeat. We are stewards of every single dime. Penny. Lepton. God has given to us. So what do we do with this? God very clearly has established, and you see this in Leviticus chapter 27, Numbers chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 14, 2 Chronicles chapter 31, a system, an offering system. It's referred to as a tithing system that literally teaches us. It goes all the way back. This is how we are to live. We take from all of our income and we have much of it. Yeah, well, we don't have as much as we do to the guy next to so Don't worry about the guy next to you. And from the very top, we take off, what, a tenth. 10%. And we offer it. We know every good gift, every good gift comes from the Father above. And so when we take that off, we give it as an act, a response in worship to God's goodness and grace. Yeah, yeah, that's, Pastor Tim, you're not aware, that's Old Testament. We live under grace now. It, it is very, very clear. In the New Testament, we are to give what? First Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2. You give in keeping with your income. Which means I think you probably have enough to buy bread. That we, in a sense, what? The New Testament talks about the importance and the benefits of giving. We are to give as we are able. As Christians, we are part of the body of Christ. We just, we just welcomed a couple into membership. We said, this is a requirement. This is, a, this is expectation. This is who we are. This is what we do. We give a portion. We give the top parts. Perhaps, perhaps it may not be limited to 10%. Correct in the New Testament. Perhaps you start at that and you give more than that then. It's really what it's talking about. Perhaps there are seasons or times where you work towards that as a goal. But we understand what? Above everything else, all of our tithes, all of our offerings should be given with a pure motive, an attitude of worship to God and service to the body of Christ. When there is a clear direction set that we have one goal, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is made known for those in our community. Testament gives very specific instructions. Second Corinthians chapter nine, direct your attention to verse seven. It says, let each man 
Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. And I love this, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. If this is like a prying it from your hands, like, okay, God, this is what I'm expecting. Hey, hold on to it. Okay, church doesn't, church doesn't want it. God certainly doesn't need it. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Give this this amazing opportunity for us to worship. I wish I had the time to unpack it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there's a group of churches in Macedonia. It says that they gave. Literally, it says this. It says, we want you to know in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave according to their means, as I can testify. And Paul says this, I saw these people and they gave beyond their means. Like that little old widow lady. She gave out of her poverty beyond her means. Oh, to follow that example, to live like that. To be people where it is flowing in and flowing out as an act of worship to God's goodness and grace. Three things I want to give you in close. Remember this, our giving is, is what? Is always to be measured, not by the amount. Get that out of your mind, but by sacrifice. If you give and you don't feel this, then that's not the right Adjustment. That's not the level, the line we're looking for. It's what God's word says. Giving is always to be measured not by amount, but by sacrifice. Secondly, it's to be offered not with reluctance, but with joy. It is far more blessed, far more blessed to give than to receive. We have to remember that. Thirdly and finally, our giving is always to be seen not by other men, but by Jesus Christ. Which means we work hard. Not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know that we are in a place of growth as a church, and I am grateful. I'm grateful for the sacrifice. I'm grateful for the faithfulness of this church. It's interesting, I've had many conversations recently with people as we watch even a new building program. It's easy for that to like take, to take, um, to make more noise than it should. And, and we don't want that. It's, it's going to be done. Tell me when we move our books. That's it. People ask me, is they, they want to give. And what happens oftentimes in churches, you've probably seen this if you've been in any churches, where there are nameplates. You know, there's nameplates like this pew was given in honor of and this uh, baptism was given in honor of, and this offering set was given in honor of. There's names all over the place. People have actually asked me, like, so is that how we're going to? And I have assured people, let me, let me, let me make it very, very, very clear. We will put a, a name plate on anything that you want. If you want to give, okay, and you want a name plate, the interesting thing is on every single nameplate is going to say exactly the same thing. Three words. Soli Deo Gloria. To the glory of God alone. There will be no names on anything other than the name of the one that we worship as we have the privilege 
sacrificially giving to in response to his goodness and his grace. Father, I would ask that your spirit would work in our hearts. We would examine our life, our lifestyle. Father, that we and my plea, and, and, and it begins with me, that we would all learn to live light and fast. Help us, Lord, to get rid of just the garbage that just collects, that blurs our view of you. Thank you for this dear, precious little old lady who just ghouls the wealthy. Help us to be people. Help us to be your people who give not out of our abundance, but give out of our poverty. Give so we feel the sting of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Bless us. And bless us in faithfulness to you and to your word. In your name we pray.